0: Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social Work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. Welcome back to series eight of Helpful Social Work. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jo. And we're recording this in December twenty twenty
1: three, but it'll be going out in January twenty four. That sounds weird to say, gotta say. So anyway, happy new year to everyone. That was the first time I wrote um, twenty four down. Yeah, it's, (laughs) anyway, um, we've exceeded 175,000 listens. So to everyone who listens to us, thank you very much. And we might even get to 180,000 by the end of the series because we've got two more episodes after this. And we also do our review of the year and we have some really exciting news for you about helpful social work. It's going to be going into its ninth series in April. However, um, Jerry and I will be handing over the hosts to the anti-racism movement. Now yeah, we've been doing this for eight years now,
0: which is really hard to believe and we absolutely love it. And the last few years, we've been talking about the potential to encourage other people to have a voice on this platform. And we've had some guests who've been absolutely wonderful. And now we're feeling like it's time to give a fresh voice to the podcast. So we're going to be handing on to Chantal, Sylvia and colleagues at the anti-racism movement, ARM. And Arm was created out of a conversation between a group of black women social work professionals at Community Care Live uh, 2022, so last year. And they saw that there was a real gap, uh, what they described as a kind of gaping hole where there needed to be a shared space for black women to develop and grow and nurture and heal together. And that's what Arm is. Uh, and they they use this quote from Bell hooks, one of the most important ways we sustain ourselves is by building communities of resistance so they've been meeting regularly since then, and they're continuing to meet and that place is that space that they've created um for people to get together is a place where they can um, be authentically themselves and not have to explain themselves um or as they've they've um, said to us apologize or make excuses for who they are and they're really interested in action and doing things for themselves um, and again there's a quote that they use from orjo lord the master tools will never dismantle the master's house uh, so thinking about action that is disrupting the the way the systems and structures that we have that that are dysfunctional so when um joe and i've been talking about the voice on the of the platform and we were thinking about the future i came across i happened to come across the write-up from um the anti-racism movement arms conference and so got in touch with chantal as one of the founders um the person who was kind of reporting back on the conference and we just asked if they'd find the podcast a valuable platform to develop their work
1: and so we've had a few talks with Chantelle and Sylvia, um, and they're going to be taking the lead on the podcast. And I'd really love to tell you a little bit more about them, um, because I'm sure that, that you'll be excited like I am. Um, Chantelle Thomas, she's a social worker, activist, mentor, leader, independent training consultant. And prior to, um, academia, she worked Indirect safeguarding practice, and she had a particular interest, or has a particular interest still, I'm sure, in working with vulnerable children and families from Black and global global majority communities. Um, she convened the anti-racism movement arm um, in 2022, and it was set up, as Jerry said, you know, to really um, help Black women support each other to heal from racial trauma. She's also um, the clinical professional lead for social work and the course lead in the MA in social work at Tavistock and Portman NHS Foundation Trust. In 2021, she became the first anti-racism lead at the British Association of Social Work. She began her doctoral journey then. Um, You know, she identifies as British born, South London raised. Uh, She's co-written a chapter um, in a book. Uh, to entitled Risk and Safety, a Strength-Based Perspective in Working with Black Families Where There Are Safeguarding Concerns, and she's contributed her practice knowledge to Safeguarding Black Children by Professor Bernard. Uh, she's also developed a short course, becoming an anti-racist practitioner or leader, which she um, delivers to a lot of local authorities and um, institutions across the UK. So, you know, there's so much for us to look forward to in terms of listening and learning
0: and thinking with Chantel. Yeah and Dr Sylvia Smith is um, a former associate lecturer and course lead at the Tavistock and Portman NHS Trust and continues to teach there on the master's in social work and is an active doctoral supervisor and independent trainer clinical supervisor and also offers consultancy and coaching and mentoring around leadership and she qualified as a social worker almost 40 years ago so that's well, similar to you, Joe, is that
1: right? Yeah. No, no, no. Mine thirty years ago, Jerry. So. Oh, I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> let her ahead. have
0: the,
1: let her have that um
0: <laughs> Yeah. And she's held frontline senior PRAC um management leadership roles within like a range of different services and statutory voluntary and private sectors um in youth and community work. Uh, children families assessments, mental health, looked after children and fostering and adoption and unaccompanied minors. And um, she says that her practice is informed by psychosocial, systemic and relationship-based approaches. And her research interests are around um, anti-racist social practice, trauma and the impact of racism, compassionate leadership management and organisational dynamics. Um, Sylvie's also um, been hosting a podcast, the Social Workers Matter podcast and has presented um, Black Connections on a local radio station. So they've between them, I mean, you can hear just the range of experience um, and that real kind of practice theory, evidence and communication kind of richness that they have.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, that comes through in the conversations that we've been having with them as well. And, um, we have been, um, talking with, um, Sylvia and Chantelle about where helpful social work came from, um, and, and, and what it was that, that we were trying to do when we set this up. And I think for me, the excitement about handing our platform over to Chantelle and Sylvia and the rest of the folks from Arm, Is the thought that they'll bring such a vast wealth of experience in practice and and that different viewpoint because helpful social work podcasts have always been about supporting social workers to be the best practitioners they can be um, to think about all the different encounters they have with people who need help and to think about how they can be useful and and helpful and with Chantelle and Sylvia, we have experienced social workers who are also going to bring challenge and ask us to think about anti-racist practice in all our endeavours. And, you know, they'll disrupt our thinking, help us stretch, stretch ourselves. Jerry and I, we both have a frame that we look at the world from and our own experience as white European women living in a European country does inform how we move through the world and how we see social work. Um, I thought, in particular about some of the frameworks we use, like attachment and resilience, which we know can look different um, in different communities and cultures. And we know that people experience neighbourhoods or communities differently, depending on their background, ethnicity, or how people perceive them. You know, an ARMS vision is to be leaders in disrupting racial and intersectional narr- narratives in social work, education, practice, and research to make a meaningful difference in people's lives and I think it'll be fantastic to hear them do that on helpful social work. I will certainly be a
0: listener. Yeah, so they've said that their mission is to be fearless, joyful and unapologetic. And I think that those are really that, that will make for really exciting um, podcast, will not it? Um, and hopefully there's a real kind of synergy and um, kind of um, feeling of a kind of natural transition um, from us to them. Mm -hmm. um we're not going anywhere just yet of course
1: (laughs) (laughs) but if you look at their values too jerry you know courage compassion connection community they're very aligned to the things that we both hold dear um and that we've talked about in all of these podcasts so you know um there's there's there is a real an excellent match i think
0: yeah, and they want to, um, to reach out to people, um, hopefully they will reach out to you as our listeners and as the listeners of helpful social work and also bring in, um, um, a wider audience, different audience, mm. a, a diverse audience across this country, Europe and, and the world. Um, and you know, an example of their kind of approach to engagement, um, they've just done a one year anniversary celebratory event where they had, um, Really wise, experienced speakers. Uh, so, for example, uh, Claudia Bernard, who's a professor of social work, has written a lot on intersectionality, um, but also brought into that healing circle poetry, spoken word. Um, and food. <laughs> so when we've been talking to them, they've said, you know, one of the things that's, that's really important for them in engagement is food. Um, so it's my type of people. Yeah. So yeah, so we're, the plan is for them to come on, um, to episode nine A, which was going to be about self care. And actually it's a really, it's, a, that'll be a wonderful episode to do with them. And Joe and I will do a final episode, um, our March episode, um, together and we'll jointly do the review of the year, our eighth review of the year um this march fantastic and and in the meantime
1: we actually have an episode to do today jerry
0: let's get to it yeah yeah
1: let's uh, let's get to it because our episode i I think this is so important it's about organizational support and jerry and i when we kind of when we get together and we're talking about social work we do like to start with the individual and then move into the kind of the team and, and then move into the organization so we're always thinking in systems um and I think that you know you, that no conversation is complete without that that look at the system. So, what do we mean by organisation? An organisation in the dictionary is the persons who make up a body for the purpose of administering something. So, it, it is the people who are the organisation. There is no organisation without people. You know, we sometimes talk about the organisation as if it's um, separate from the humans in it, but that's, you know, we're talking about human-to-human support. So in um, Latin, it means instrument or tool. So if we put that together, we're thinking about the mechanism made up of people for doing something. Without purpose, it's just like a tool that lies in a shed with accomplishing nothing. So we need purposeful interaction, human-to-human. So we really need to be able to understand what is it the organization's trying to do? Who are the people that make up the organisation? And then how do all the people in the organisation support each other? And I think that this is really key for me. It's not like that the support should just funnel one way. There should be support both ways. How do we support each other to do the thing we were set up to do, to do the thing this
0: organisation was set up to do? You actually just made me think of a picture in my head of a, a group of ants moving a leaf. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of great examples from nature, aren't there? There's beehives, there's birds flying in formation and changing who le- takes the lead and takes the strain. Mm. And yeah, lots of um, really great examples of, of, of this kind of um, ability that we've got as creatures to do this, to come mm. together and organise and... Organize and you support each other to do something um and so we've been talking through this series about the baswood toolkit uh, on working conditions and well-being and of course that's got a lot to say about organizational support really recommend that you take a look at it and the toolkit um starts off with this principle that improvement in organizations is needed the research points to it um, It's needed for people within the organisation and also really crucially for the people that we're serving, the adults and children and families and communities. And if you really want that organisation to work well and to improve and to be the best it can be, everyone involved has to work together. So it's a whole body approach. Um, and the toolkit is really clear, as I said, that given the research about stress levels in social work, it's not optional to... Mm-hmm adapt your organizational culture, it has to change. Um however great your organization is, there'll be new stresses. We know that demands and um strain on people is going up. Uh, So in my field in adult social work, we're about to come into the winter season. Um, But people have said, you know, it's it's been winter all year in terms of the the need um and the demand. Mm -hmm. So you've got to always be thinking about well, how do we make the stress inducers less and the stress relievers More. So the whole group of people working together aiming to behave in ways that reduce stress. And I think that's a really useful question just to ask yourself. Um, you know, how am I working in a way today and work? I work on my own, but you know, I can still ask this question. Um, how am I working in a way today that, um, that reduces stress, uh, Mm. relieves stress? Um, so reducing demands, reducing feelings of being out of control, um, increasing the clarity about role and purpose, what I'm trying to do, um, reducing kind of unsupportive change and making changes and trans- transitions more supported and really crucially improving relationships and support from managers and peers. And that's the positive is that we know from research that social workers are really good at those relationships and that peer support and supervisory support
1: yeah is a is a really strong thing, and I think for me, one of the things that makes a huge difference is the way in which people in the organization think of each other um first of all, that they all see that they have a responsibility to care from each other, so there's not they they take away that us and them idea um and that they step out of a blame culture where they're constantly looking for people to to shift the worries onto or or to you know where they're where they're holding accountability proportionately um and also thinking about what kind of learning is happening in the, in these cultures um you know a blame culture requires a view of people as deserving of punishment, where a learning culture thinks of people as work in progress, and I think that's you know a lovely difference to hold to mind so holding a frame of positive expectations in the workplace it can really help us act compassionately to ourselves as well as to others because that's a lovely Mm. thing of course if if you're working from that um kind of people deserve punishment as motivation almost you're you're holding that on yourself as well so it's, you know, it's an uncomfortable place and attitude to have. I think if you hold a positive expectation in the workplace, it can help us act compassionately. Um, we think, you know, no one came to do a poor job. People can change if they're showing the value of change and given support to do it. And and everyone has a place or a space, a con- everyone has a contribution to make, a place where they can shine. Um, and I think it... it even if you kind of have that mindset, it can be easy to step out of it when there's a lot of anxiety, particularly around risk um, and resources. And I was once um, speaking, you know, in a management role about a case where there'd been uh, a poor—it was a poor decision—and it had had um, it had really impacted on the life of the young person involved. And I was speaking um, with my co- police in a, quite a frustrated way about the caseworker actually and the other person pulled me up and she said to me I'm really curious about what your experience of her work is normally and I kind of stopped and I went oh well actually she's a really good compassionate child focused worker and I was going to go on and say that's what's so frustrating but my colleague said well I wonder if we could Think about what might be happening for her at this time to make a decision that seems so opposite to those things. Can we maintain curiosity and compassion in our conversation as we explore her thinking behind the actions? And it was such a good question because it asked me to stop looking at the outcome and the, the, the impact Um,
0: it's like zooming out isn't it you see you're you're getting drawn into this one thing but if you zoom out you can see that that's part of a really big tapestry that yeah
1: and to be curious again and just to approach the person in a learning way and say what do you think of the outcome what did you hope would happen when you made this decision what what were the kind of factors you were thinking about what what would you done different you know and have, have a completely different conversation and I think if we can maintain our curiosity and compassion in our conversations um it's that kind of, it, it, allows us to keep that learning attitude, I think.
0: And there's a, there's a common, um, kind of question that's asked when, when people are getting, um, you know, critical or, or potentially judgmental of others, you know, that, that thing that nobody knows what's going on for someone else. Mm. And so I think a compassionate, open-minded approach to, to what's happening is really, is really good advice. Um, I mean, there's, there's also some really practical, um, elements to this. I think it starts with that emotional intelligence and purpose of supporting each other to do the thing. Um, and then you also do need practical stuff in place because it's not enough, is it, to just have a good intention. I want to support you. Um, mm. there will be things that will be needed and we've already talked about some of them in this series. Um, supervision, opportunities for professional development, opportunities for peer support and interaction. Um the toolkit from the British Association of Social Workers also highlights um that there needs to be kind of formal support within organisations so for example mm-hmm. occupational health I had to spend quite a bit of time with occupational health after I had an accident probably getting on for 15 years ago to support me with reasonable adjustments back to work and a phased return and they were really excellent and actually what they made me do was do it in a way that was going to work Um rather than kind of my my issue would have been rushing in and messing it up um other people might find it really difficult to get back into the groove of things Uh, so having that is really important and occupational health also can help with advice about managing stress and it's really Mm -hmm. good to ask for advice and support early and we know from research that social workers are not good at asking for help Um, so again if you spot somebody there are there should be Opportunities for formal support. Organizations quite often also have employee assistance programs that might be wider than just within your kind of bit of the service. Um, So, for example, counselling or support services, and often those are self-referral and have a kind of confidential and anonymous approach. Um, And again, it's worth sort of thinking about what's happening outside of your work that's impacting on your work. Because I've certainly found that I've tried in the past to keep personal and professional really separate and. Going, okay well I'm going into work now so this thing that's that I'm worried about in my personal life I'm not going to let it affect me now for my working day and found inevitably that that you just can't do that mm. you, know, you will yeah I was messing up my work because of this thing that I thought I'd left at the door
1: yeah it it there's there's that kind of you want to be able to maintain a degree of privacy and choice about what you do or don't share. But as you say, the organisation has has a good healthy organisation will have a whole range of structures and supports that you can take advantage of, which also respect your desires to kind of keep things that you're struggling with uh, uh, um, you know a little bit private and your supervision is a private space as well and so we should have confidence in our organizations and our organizations should be able to understand that yes we're the same person aren't we regardless of what
0: sphere we're moving into Um, and and there is a backstop for that as well isn't there and um, I don't know about every country but certainly in the country that I work in in England there is employment law um, which allows for Um, a kind of sense of security that if you seek help from your organization, um, you won't be discriminated against for that. Mm -hmm.
1: And yeah, and we're all, we're all going to be. Um, more able to manage things at some times than others because that's life. The life course allows for that. Yet we all want to continue to be valuable, productive members of society. So therefore, it's really in both our interests and the organisation's interests to pay attention to that. Um, and I've just been putting together this toolkit for independent social workers uh, who may run their own organisations or work for themselves or work in partnership rather than having that kind of you know big local authority um, organization or, or charity organization wrapped around them to support them in a traditional way and the toolkit actually deliberately starts with the foundations for doing independent social work and um, it's relevant for all social work but it's particularly important when you're working in a more isolated way that you're always, kind of think about the ethics, your role, the well-being and professionalism, because these are all the factors that mediate against stress, that idea of having a really clear purpose, a clear role, looking after yourself, maintaining your expertise um and it's no accident that that toolkit of course links back into the working conditions toolkit and and that this all comes together and i really i encourage everyone who's listening to really think about um you know what support structure you have around you mm. and where you're accessing your support from and and what do you understand your organisation's responsibilities are to you And, and you know, how can you actually get in? Involved in that, and I think with the toolkit, you had to kind of be a bit more creative and think. Okay, well, if I'm by myself, I still need all of that. What What is it that I can do? You know, um, can I be a member of my um, for our, for for me? It would be the British Association of Social Work, but your association. You know, what events can you attend? What learning can you do? What networks can you form? Virtual networks, um, and can you access things? For example, like you know, so it, as a member of the British Association of social work I can access coaching sessions through the professional support service so what kind of professional coaching or mentoring um, you know uh, local chambers of commerce and places like that often have business coaching and things like that so you've got to kind of be thinking the whole time where can I get what an organization should offer me to allow me to thrive um, and you could ask breakfast.
0: your organisation, as I, I have asked myself, to um, give me time to do a podcast with Joe which definitely <laughs> helps. <It laughs> I mean, has. this is—I nice, isn't it? This is our support network.
1: It is our support network and because we're, we're moving to, um, we're moving to kind of different spaces, I've actually just started a mentoring relationship with someone because I've thought I'm going to need someone to have these types of conversations and this reflection with because I've taken it a bit for granted actually. Um, and so yeah, you, you do have to think about, yes, you say yourself as an organization and what you can offer.
0: So the, the, both the working conditions toolkit and then what Joe's just been talking about around the independent social workers um, toolkit, they they point to, um, they both cite and talk about research that um, shows that there's particular organisational issues that people from minoritized groups face. Yeah. So the research that Bath Spa University led on Revalia's work from 2019 demonstrated that Black and minority ethnic social workers in the UK often face particular difficulties in their roles. Um, that was looking at the, the stress on social workers. Um, and so there's particular experiences of stress and particular kind of, um, causes of stress <clears throat> that will affect, um, people from minoritized groups. And the, the kind of counter to that is for organizations to foster an inclusive environment. And that isn't a kind of, our doors are open you know it's 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 all fine for everyone it's a real deliberate recognition of unique challenges faced by people mm-hmm. from minoritized groups and overcoming those barriers and providing the support that's needed um i've just been involved in a project with research and practice on intersectionality and that's included looking at organizational support and we're really lucky in that project that um soraya nayak and Clinton and Farkerson have been taking a lead on the materials and bringing a lot of research and practice wisdom and lived experience to that and we talked about within that project and learned about those experiences of of people talking about being able to live only part of their identity or having to pick and choose which bits they can show within their organisation and which bits are supported and which bits are kind of seen as okay and the exhaustion that comes with that um mm-hmm. and all the all the other emotions that are bound up with that. And so the work to be inclusive requires everyone to recognize where they have power and privilege and to act on this. Um it's it's work, isn't it? It's it's effort um to embed a culture where everyone is kind of seen and acknowledged and recognized and supported. But that's the only way to really have a place where everyone thrives. And going back to what an organization is trying to do, if it's a group of people coming together to do a thing. That thing should not cause harm to the people doing it um, mm. and there's there's there was really interesting in that project we were talking about compassion at work, which I think is a very um common concept within talking about leadership and organizational culture and Soraya was talking about how intersectional compassion isn't a sort of fuzzy or vague thing. it's real um, it's real support that's about everyone feeling included and thriving and it's the sharpness of view and a deliberateness of action um and it brings this wonderful reward of the the relationships and the um the purposefulness and the outcomes that you can then achieve as a group coming together
1: mm. yeah and it, it's about you know how do we how do we know when we're in an organization that um, acts on what we say and does that hard work. You know, what does that feel like and look like? Um, and having worked in many different organizations, you know, one of the things that, that is wonderful for me is that I do get to work in, in different places for the practice frameworks and what all the slogans say, you kind of get that. So um, uh, an authority that I went into recently, it was just things like um, the workforce development officer met me at the door she was really clear about everything that she knew she wanted to happen. She made sure, she said, are you comfortable? Have you got everything you need? Can I help you with this? Up we come, stayed there, made sure everything was set up for me, made sure that every, all the delegates had what they needed, showed a real interest, talked about people, um, knowledgeably, but also knew their names. Um, very, very personable and caring. Um, and this was a relational authority, but then we started off and it was also authority that used restorative practice and we started off, um, with a restorative circle. And so I got everyone to introduce themselves and just say one thing. Um, I can't remember the question I asked to tell you the truth, but just, um, you know, just kind of a touch point about how people were feeling and that kind of thing and about Three people in. Someone said, "Oh, know, I've just finished my social work apprenticeship," and everyone in the circle burst into applause. And I was like, "Wow, oh, that's that's really lovely." But this continued throughout. So this circle became this huge celebration of people's achievements and enjoyment of each other. And there was all of this kind of really. They weren't just waiting for their turn; they were actually really listening, and it just felt very healthy and, and vibrant. And then as the day went on, there was a real um, clarity about their own purposes and their roles. And they were able to say where they made the most contribution in their work. And I think for me, that role clarity is so important in organizations because it's like, you know how you talked about the birds flying mm. and, and one bird takes over when the other bird gets tired. Those birds all understand their role and their positions and where they need to be, but they're still looking after each other and working together. Um, and I think in organizations that are actually focusing on thriving people, people know their purpose. And they understand it really well, and the values that the organisation talks about—in this case, it's um, relation and restoration—are actually modelled by the people all the time. So there's that real fit. Um, and so I think that the organisation has to be relational from from the from the top down and the ground up. They need to remain curious about each other and about how they're going to achieve things and how they can support each other to do that. Um, they need to really have that passion for learning. And once again, that passion for learning is right the way through the organisation. If there's a hierarchy, everyone in the hierarchy is taking responsibility for learning things and talking about that. So um, I once had a director in a learning um, circle actually tell a story that demonstrated something she'd struggled with and how she'd learnt from it, which was really fantastic modelling for the rest of that circle um, because people felt they'd been given permission to experience, to think about experiences of what hadn't worked and how they'd learnt from those things rather than kind of trying just to fake good. Mm. So I think that, yeah, they, they really have a practice framework that people can believe in. They don't exist just for the employees, so they're not there just to – because that's the thing about an organisation. An organisation has a purpose which is outside of the people in the organisation. It's to deliver something, and mm-hmm. they don't lose sight of that. But by the same token, they are certainly really clear that the way they
0: deliver that thing
1: is is through the collective of the people.
0: It's um, really that interesting, with. that example that you gave about an organization that wants to work relationally with you know with communities and families and wants to do restorative practice actually doing that themselves internally yeah um,
1: it was the whole day jerry i would just like
0: i was quite buzzy really because yeah. <laughs> i felt it really powerfully yeah and and people can tell can't they they can you can tell when you walk into an organization you spend time there if it how the relationships within that work um and if they work well, it's a place you want to stay and a place you want to contribute to. Um and certainly the older people and the adults that I've worked with when I've gone out to see them, they can tell if you're there because you um are coming from a compassionate, relational, interested, empowering place, or if you aren't. Um and, and but from that place, I mean not just coming from inside you, but if you've walked out of a an organization to their home carrying Whatever you're carrying from that organization with you, they can tell whether that's something that they really, whether they want what you're selling.
1: Yeah. yeah. And you think about it in terms of residential homes, both for, um, older people, but also for young people, um, and the atmosphere and environment that you can feel in those homes. Think about schools, you know, schools that, um, are full of energy and happy noise and curiosity and, and, and that kind of real, uh, positive sound or a school that might, you know, give off different vibes. You can, you, we, we, we do know these things, don't we? As humans, we recognise when an organisation is is thriving around us and we want to be part of that, actually.
0: Yeah, and I think it is really hard for people, there will be people who are listening to this, um, who are in a place where they're doing their best to thrive and it's not, it's not holding them in the way that, that it needs mm. to. Um, and where maybe they're then kind of acting as a as sort of uh, carrier for that stuff so that it then doesn't kind of impact on the people around them, maybe the people that they manage, maybe the people that they're going out to support in the community um, and how difficult it is to kind of hold that compassionate space and relational space yourself when you're not feeling supported mm, in that yeah. work. Um And I suppose the, the, the kind of thing to hold on to is that Cultures change. You know, they can change. Um, it it takes. It starts with a few relationships. It can change very quickly. Um, so there is always and there's scope. Tool,
1: there's tools out there to challenge as well. Like that you don't. That you know the the only option. It's not that the only option in an organization is to contain, be more resilient. You know, manage. There are actually. Options, you talked about employment law, but you know, there's also whistleblowing, there is, um, unions, there is the working conditions toolkit. There's all sorts of ways that we can have challenging conversations within our organization and beyond that can help us bring change in those organizations and, you know, those toxic cultures that can grow, particularly from working in a, in a kind of risk averse, um, anxious inducing resource poor environment those cultures can thrive without them even meaning to Mm. so being able to use all those different levers to have reasonable conversations within the organization and if you need to without the organization is quite important it's not just that you have to tolerate or leave they're not the only two options actually
0: yeah. And certainly the the podcast that we've done around um, peer support and management supervisory support um, also point to some of the ways in which you can seek support within those kind of cultures and try and build build that as well. Um, and we're going to look at self-care next time. And again, that won't be in um, in a it's on you to be resilient no. kind of way. It's to think about um, however good a culture is, um, you'll still need to to tend to yourself as well um so how how do we do that well and that's where we'll be joined by Chantal and Sylvia as well to talk about their experience um so I think the the, the main thing that I I kind of think about when I'm thinking about organizational support is this idea of it not being fuzzy it's not uh, just a feeling <laughs> support isn't just a feeling it's action and um it's about thinking and saying and doing the things that help people thrive and come together to do the thing whatever that purpose is that you have in your organization when we were looking at this in the intersectionality project um we we saw good support good intersectional support um as being the, the feeling that everyone knows that they are treated equitably that they um, belong and they're valued and that they have the resources and the support that they need to achieve their full potential and actually from what you've said joe as well that those those ideas of equity belonging and value and having the chance to achieve your full potential that's what we're trying to take out to our communities as well isn't that um those Absolutely. outcomes yeah
1: Yeah, thanks, Jerry. So it certainly made me think, but I think you know, um, for me, we're all we are part of a system. We just can't step away from that, and we need to take individual responsibility. But we also need to take collective responsibility. And and if our organisations are doing that, then that also helps us see that the people we're working with are part of systems. And that it helps us to not just put all of the emphasis on them managing as individuals, but also looking at how they manage in systems. And I think that, you know, that's what helpful social work is all about, isn't it? It's about seeing and valuing the individual and also seeing and valuing the systems around um, and challenging those systems Um when then when they're not delivering all the things yeah. that they to need be
0: the to. best they can because when we see humans coming together supportively to achieve something it's amazing what they can do
1: absolutely and it's and it's important in times like this actually to really hold on to that because i think that there is a tendency to really see humans in a, as as only destructive Sometimes with, you know, with in conversations or in news reports and that, but actually we are, we are all about cooperation and we're all about kind of working together to, to do things and create things. And that's what's lovely about an organization actually is it's the evidence that a whole range of very, very different humans can come together with a purpose and make good difference when it's functioning properly and that's that's quite an amazing thing really
0: now it's a good thing to to start the new year off with
1: yes <laughs> yes 2014 uh, 2014 there you go i'm going backwards jerry <laughs> 2014
0: i wish